Hello there, Misfits. This is Kate. And I'm Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. happened um Mm -hmm. it was i mean technically for listeners like this is our second episode in 2023 but we pre-recorded the first one so this is actually we're in real real time real time real time kale and i were just talking (laughs) about our new year's things um i was with my family in kentucky my sister's pipes burst her basement (sighs) flooded Because it was like too cold or something? Yeah, it was really bad. So many people's pipes burst. Mm. Um, So so she was supposed to host Christmas morning at her house. The pipes burst Christmas Eve. So she and my brother-in-law and my nieces all packed up and headed over to my mom's house where I was staying. And we were so not ready for them. But what? Was Frankie there? Oh, yeah. Frankie was there. So we had all of my sister's family, the dog. It was a lot. It was chaos. But it was also fun. And like my youngest niece said, it felt like we were in our very own Christmas movie where some disaster happened. I love those nieces. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. She and I good. particularly had, um, well, she still uses my Hulu, I think. So, oh, yeah. We, we have a whole thing going. Yeah. <laughs> we watch the same things. It's great. Although I think she might be getting her own, well, the family might be getting their own account. Oh, so they might not have I to think. steal yours anymore, but we'll see. But it's great because, like, we watch the same thing. <laughs> um, how was yours? You went to Tahoe, right? I did. I went, yeah, I went to Tahoe. Tahoe was lovely. It was so much fun. And, I was with two of my besties, and we did the Mean Girls Jingle Bell Amazing. dance. I don't know if you saw the pictures. I did see the pictures. <laughs> you were in full costume. Full costume. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we definitely put on a performance. And for I think it rocked. an audience or just I yourselves? Mean, both, actually. <laughs> you were your own audience. Yes. And then some. Okay. okay, we weren't alone, but oh, okay. yeah, yeah, it was it was an excellent time. It was such a great way to like end the year and then to to start off a new year, because as you know, um, it was a rough two months starting. It's been like two months now, a little over two months since my car was stolen. Yes, and it's been quite the journey. Um, that sucks. Yeah, so just to have something end so well to begin out something new and exciting and like yeah it's 2023 it's the year to be for me that was my name today <laughs> I see it I, I see it on the okay. thing okay um so yeah I yeah happy new year happy new year great. I oh and I went to San Francisco for the new year to my friend Sanaz and Amir's they put on they hosted a little party and fun it was super fun so good food good people well now that we're feeling warm and fuzzy 
I'm going to bring it way down. You're going to chill us out a little bit, make us a little cold and dark. It's going to it's going to get icy. It's going to get it's going to get dark. It's the story of Dorothy Stratton. Dorothy Stratton made a name for herself as the first Canadian to be given the title of Playboy's Playmate of the Year with crossover success in TV and feature films. I'm going to reemphasize that. So she was the con- first Canadian. She wasn't the first Playboy Playmate of the Year. Right. So was she that because she was in like a film industry or was she that because she was a model? She was none of those things. Oh, oh. And we'll talk about it. She was literally plucked out of her hometown. And yeah, we'll get into it. Wow. Just as her stardom began to rise, though, her life was tragically and brutally cut short by a jealous ex when she was only 20 years old. Dorothy never imagined she would land in show business. She was born in Vancouver on February 28th, 1960, as Dorothy Ruth Hogstratton. I think that's how it's pronounced. It's H-O-O-G-S-T-R-A-T-E-N. So she took off the hog. Well, that comes later, and actually it wasn't even her decision, but we'll get into it. Her parents were Nellie and Simon, both of whom had migrated from the Netherlands, so she was Dutch. And she was the oldest of three kids. Her brother, John Arthur, was a year younger, and she had a sister, Louise, who was eight years younger. Louise is technically Dorothy's half-sister from a different dad. Uh, Simon left Nellie and and their two young kids when Dorothy was just three years old. Unfortunately, Nellie's relationship with Louise's dad would not last, and Nellie ended up as a single mom of three. Dorothy was a good kid. She never got into trouble. She never did drugs. She was very straight-laced. She grew up on a farm and was a straight-A student. So that tells you she was intelligent. She was responsible. She was also really shy. She wasn't a partier. She didn't really date. She had one boyfriend, a guy named Craig. But as with a lot of teen romances, that didn't really last long. Dorothy never thought of herself as beautiful. She felt like she was plain and had big hands. That's what, like her, like... Plain with big hands. Yeah. She she didn't wear makeup. She was tall. She was five foot nine and definitely taller than most of her classmates, classmates which when you're a teenager can make you feel awkward. Yeah, definitely. I, I was like the tallest in my junior high class and then everybody outgrew me. But for a long time, <laughs> I was really tall. Yeah. Also, um, so would you call her like straight laced or would you like as a as an adjective or would you think more she is just a humble person or? She was straight laced. And, and I mean that in terms of like didn't do drugs, right. wasn't okay. promiscuous, wasn't a partier, like very just good student, Good daughter. Wholesome. Would you say wholesome? Very then? wholesome. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to get a picture if that makes sense. Yeah. And she was always really quiet. Everyone that remembers Dorothy describes her as being pure goodness. Just mm. so nice. One of her high school classmates, Leslie Buchanan, said, quote, I remember being in a typing class with Dorothy. She was taking a lot of business classes, as we called them. I do remember her being friendly but quiet and always looking good in her seafarer jeans. She wore clogs, too, which I wasn't sure if it was because she was Dutch or because they were cool at the time. Uh. 
She just seemed really down to earth and approachable. She had a lot of female friends, but got along great with males too. She was just so sweet and warm and people felt good around her. She seemed like the kind of girl you could go to the movies with, talk about who you had a crush on. You never had to worry that she was going to try to steal your man or anything like that. She just didn't have a malicious bone in her body. She saw the good in everyone, which would later become her fatal flaw. Right, of course. Dorothy was a parent's dream. She helped take care of her younger siblings, particularly Louise, who was eight years younger. The two of them were really close, and she felt compelled to help her family out financially, so she got a part-time job at the local Dairy Queen while she was in high school. The DQ. Good old DQ. One evening in early 1978, when Dorothy was 18 years old, it's I've seen it reported differently, like it was late 1977 and Dorothy was 17, early 1978 she was 18, but around this time. She was doing her thing at the Dairy Queen, scooping that ice cream, making those blizzards, when a man by the name of Paul Snyder walked in with a friend. Let me painteth you a picture mm. of Paul Snyder. Yeah, give me some adjectives so I can get this in my head because I kind of have her in my head now. Okay, so this is 70s. Now I've got that more of the flip hair picturesque. Oh, yeah. I've got, okay, I've got her. So let's let's hear about him. All right. Paul was 26 years old. So oh, nine so years older. older than Dorothy. Yeah. He drove a black Corvette. He had dark hair and a well-groomed dark mustache. <laughs> He was into the style of the time where guys would wear their button-down shirts like with the first few buttons undone to expose their chest hair. Oh, yeah, of course. I also am not going to mention anything about mustache in this particular episode because I have referred to it when you talked about Clark Gable long ago. I feel like I'm not. Re- I feel like there's a reference. I'm when missing. I was like, I like a good stash. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you would not but like I don't, Paul Snyder. I was going to say, when you said it was well-groomed and he's, yeah, I don't know. We're good. We're no. good with this one. No, no thanks. Um, so he just had that like gross kind of porn-like mm-hmm. 70s the chest hair. Yes, with peeking out. and. Ugh, I, I don't like chest hair in case anyone can't tell. I don't mind it, but I don't need somebody looking all like porny, just you know, sketch Phil. Yep. (laughs) And over the shirt, he wore a long mink coat. Around his neck hung a jewel-encrusted Star of David. He was known (laughs) around town. Yes, he was known around town as the Jewish pimp. Have no fear, (laughs) I will post a picture. I can't wait. And yes, he was an actual pimp. That was just a little something he didn't bother to tell Dorothy when he was ordering his blizzard that night. So at 26 years old, he's mm-hmm. a pimp? Yeah. Wow. So he strolls into his, oh, sorry, he strolls into this Dairy Queen, takes one look at Dorothy. She's tall, lean, naturally beautiful without mm-hmm. any makeup on, blue eyes. That's what he was looking for, I'm sure. Her blonde hair and pigtails, very sweet looking. And he turns to his friend and says... That girl could make me a lot of money. So he struts up to the counter and is like, I'd like a chicken finger basket. And oh, by the way, you're beautiful. Cringe. And Dorothy was flattered. She didn't get compliments like this often. 
She viewed herself very much as an average girl. And it was nice that that this guy who seemed put together, I mean, he looked ridiculous, but for the 70s, like he was somewhat put together and she enjoyed the attention. So Paul asks, not Dorothy, but another waitress there for Dorothy's number, which she gave to him. It was number to her mom's house because she lives at home because she was still she in was, high school. Exactly. And Paul begins grooming her. They began dating, but for his part, he saw her as an opportunity rather than a partner. Of course. She was 18, but that is still considered a minority in British Columbia. Legal age isn't until 19 there. So she's underage, and this guy is a full-on man. And his occupation is pimp. Yes. Now, that wasn't his technical occupation on paper. He had another one, which I'll talk about. But he was definitely... I stand corrected, but okay. He was definitely a pimp. He turned 27 soon after they met. So, again, she's an underage high school student, (sighs) and he's the Jewish pimp. But he knew how to turn on the charm. He starts buying her clothes. He gave her a topaz ring set in diamonds. He'd invite her over to his apartment, which was described as very posh. Plants everywhere, deep burgundy colored furniture, like just think 70s. And skylights. Which which I kind of like, but like you're painting the picture in a way that like I like it but then I'm I I know I'm not going to like I know I'm going to like Well that's the thing like I was thinking if I you know if when I was 18 if I had been hit on by like this older guy who seemed like it's he enticing had money, a little bit right yeah, yeah like, he seemed with it he has skylights yeah. I'd be like this guy has his shit together he's got windows in the ceiling So he'd cook dinner for her and play guitar And he was opening up a whole new world to Dorothy. Dorothy was in her senior year at Centennial High School. And what big event happens your senior year before you graduate? Prom. Prom. Paul took her to her senior prom. He even bought her dress. It was a ruffled white gown. Like I want to, I want to like paint a picture of more of Greece style, you know, where it's kind of like. Cool, but this I just—it's just gross. I mean, I think Dorothy probably thought it was cool at the time, but right, like, oh, but you know, she saw the good in him. I don't think she thought the age difference was a big deal, and I think she saw some similarities between herself and Paul. Mm -hmm. Paul was also from Vancouver. He was born in 1951. He grew up in the East End, which was described as being kind of a rough area. His parents divorced when he was young, and when he was in the seventh grade, he dropped out of school to fend for himself. Not really sure what he did at that age, but he wasn't in school. He had siblings. I'm not sure if they were close, but it definitely doesn't seem like his parents were in the picture. As a kid, Paul was small and scrawny, so he started working out so he could bulk up. And once he did, women began to notice him. I see. He started doing the nightclub circuit, looking for women, trying to act like a big shot. But his actual job was as a promoter for auto shows. But the auto shows weren't enough for Paul. He wanted more money. He wanted to make a name for himself. So he turned to a drug gang, like you do, (laughs) in Vancouver. Maybe maybe like that he was able to get that kind of, like, what did promoters do? 
I think they try to like get girls in, show off the cars. Okay, so maybe there was more of a scene. I'm trying to think of like how this all transpired, right? Well, I think he could just make more money selling drugs. I think that's what it came down to for him. I'm thinking, how did he get into this branch of people? So there was a group called the Rounder Crowd. Okay. They were the gang. And he went to them and was like, hey, I can sell drugs. (laughs) But the thing was, he hated drugs. So he was terrible at selling them. And the gang members didn't really trust him. They thought he was just some punk. Well, he sounds schmoozy and just Oh, he's very schmoozy. Yeah. Oh, oh, very gross. Chest hair. Well, if you have chest hair, I'm very sorry. I don't mean to not. I'm sure your chest hair is beautiful, but (laughs) this guy's chest hair is not. So Paul ends up losing a ton of money of the gang's money to loan sharks. So the gang members hung him upside down by his ankles from the 30th floor of a hotel. Okay, okay. I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> I, I was, and then I caught myself, and then I just became speechless. Okay. Uh, that's when Paul was like, you know, maybe I should get out of town for a while. So he headed to none other than Los Angeles. When he got to L.A., he got himself a gold limousine. Just a casual means of getting around town. Listen, I love AU. It is my favorite element. And if if somebody approached me in a gold limousine, I might get in. You probably would. I would. <laughs> he he Paul thought about becoming a director or a producer. He fancied himself like some big time star, but that proved unsuccessful seeing as he had no real talent or work ethic. So he continued pimping, but just wasn't making the income he wanted from it. And like when when he was pimping, what exactly, can you give us a little more details on that? What exactly? I mean, I know what a pimp is, but I I was going to say, well, a pimp. (laughs) I I understand that. But I want to know if there were other females that he was doing kind of the same thing with. I kind of, I just felt like maybe we should hear a background. What do you mean by other females he was doing the same thing with? Well, I mean, he was obviously grooming um, Dorothy. And so mm-hmm. were there other females that were get, getting pursued this way by him? Now he's uh, in L.A. How, what, how is he using his pimping skills? I know. <laughs> his pimping skills. I don't know. What do you, Resume. What do you call those? Pimp. Resume. Uh, <laughs> um, From year to year. <laughs> Experience. Skills. 1976. Pimp. 1977. Pimp. 1978. Pimp and promoter for auto shows. Nineteen seventy nine. Pimp. Any word processing skills in there? Not, okay. not with Paul. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so yes, there were other gr- girls that he had groomed. That, and I'm going to get into what because we haven't actually gotten to him and Dorothy yet. I'm right, but I'm setting but, it up, and I'm just wondering if there's any kind of like shadiness that we should be. I mean. How do we find that he's sketch? I'm sure you're going to give us some more details about that, but I'm wondering if there's any precursors to this. Like, well, for one, besides the looks, besides his, besides describing like him just kind of looking slimy. Sure. Sure. Everyone, and I mean everyone that encountered Paul Snyder said they got a bad vibe from him. Ah, there we go. That's what I was looking for. Did not like him. Got it. And. A lot of the girls that he had met prior to Dorothy, he 
I sounds like he forced them into pimping. Or like, like his approach was okay. Yes, this is this makes me feel like I I can at least have a a clearer picture. I had a picture. Uh, so he continued pimping in L.A., but just wasn't making the income he wanted from it. And some of the women even began stealing from him. Oh, wow. Oh, they steal from him. Yeah. Huh. After a few near misses with law enforcement, he decided he was done pimping. He was absolutely terrified of going to jail and was like, you know what? Time to get out of L.A. Guess I'm going back to Vancouver. It was once he was back in Vancouver that he would wander into that Dairy Queen that fateful night. Ah. Paul didn't have a father figure to look up to. He and Dorothy had that in common. But there was one man who Paul absolutely idolized. Was it Hugh Hefner? You just killed my setup, but I'm going to do it again. Okay, do it again. <laughs> Paul absolutely idolized, wanted to be just like him. Can you guess who it was? I'm guessing none other than the silk robe himself, Hugh Hefner. Hugh motherfucking Hefner. <laughs> Paul thought if he brought girls to Playboy and they were successful, it would mean a pretty good payday for himself and would get him closer to Hef's inner circle. Paul recognized the potential in Dorothy and felt like she was his ticket. She wasn't the first girl he had submitted to Playboy, which I didn't want to give away earlier. I see now. Okay. Sorry about that. But no worries. Got it. But all his previous attempts had been unsuccessful. Ah. That year, 1978, was Playboy's 25th anniversary, and to mark the occasion, they were holding the Great Playmate Hunt. It was a big deal. It came with prizes, cash, notoriety, all the works. Like all over, like, North America or uh, U.S.? Yeah, because I don't think they were international, so I think it was just in the, in the States. So Paul goes to Dorothy and is like, hey, I know this photographer, and I think you could take some really nice pictures. I'll introduce you. So she goes, and the first photo session was pretty unremarkable. Just some basic headshots. She's clothed. The photos were described as virginal, very sweet, Mm -hmm. very innocent. Then a couple of weeks later, Paul's like, hey, you were great. Let's do that again. I think you could win this Playboy contest. So this time you should pose naked. I I knew this was coming. I was going to be like, and he's asking her to pose. Mm -hmm. And Dorothy was like, "Um, no, thank you. Not my thing. Because Dorothy never had dreams of being in Mm -hmm. Playboy. She was a high school student who liked to write poetry and thought she was going to become a secretary in an office when she grew up. In fact, she had just gotten a job as a stenographer at a telephone company. Oh, But of course, Paul wasn't going to leave it alone. He kept telling her that she could be a star, that this could really change her life. And when you're an impressionable teen Mm. who's grown up in a home where money has always been an issue and with no father figure present, right, sounds enticing. Dorothy said, it took him a little while to talk me into agreeing to taking some test pictures. I had never taken my clothes off for anyone I didn't know. It took me about two weeks to agree. So he does convince her to do it. Paul took her back to that same photographer and she was definitely shy and nervous in the beginning. And, you know, she's trying to like, right. Like kind of kind of cover herself a little bit. Mm -hmm. But as the photo shoot went on, she got more comfortable and allowed herself to be photographed nude. Paul felt like the pictures were good, but he wanted more of a guarantee. So he approached photographer Ken Honey, who'd already had success with Playboy and told Dorothy, hey, we're going to do another photo shoot. 
But Ken had reservations because Dorothy was underage. He said, I'm not taking her photos unless she has the written consent of a parent, which good on Ken. Yeah. Dorothy did not want to tell her mom what she was up to. She was still uncomfortable with the whole thing. Eventually, though, she did get her mom to sign off on the photo shoot. But I was reading tonight, actually, that maybe Paul forged it and her mom didn't give her the permission. But I don't know if that's true. But regardless, she has a signed slip saying she can do these photos. she can do it. So Ken Honey sends the photos to Playboy and they responded immediately. I think they called her the very next day. Wow. And they wanted her in L.A. like the day after that. Mm -hmm. This meant she would have to miss work at her new job at the telephone company where she was a stenographer. So she wrote a handwritten note to her boss. (laughs) That is precious. It is so precious. I'm going to read that note. Dear Miss Bentley. I know this is very short notice. I tried to get a hold of you on Saturday. My mother phoned me on Friday night, August 11th. She is coming home early from her holidays, and it is very important that I meet her at the airport in Los Angeles at 8 o'clock a.m. Monday morning, August 14th. I hope I don't upset things at the office. I will return to work Tuesday, August 15th at 8 a.m. I hope you will understand. Sincerely, Dorothy Hogstratton. Which wasn't true. Because her mom was not out of town. She just lied so that she could go to this meeting with Playboy, which was held on Monday, Octo- uh, sorry, Monday, August 14th. That was Dorothy's first time on a plane. So she gets to L.A. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she hadn't been anywhere. Right. You know? And she's like a teenager still. She's a teenager and her family literally has no money. I mean, they were on welfare at one point. Like they did not have money. I mean, you kind of got to give it to her that she's kind of jumping out of her shell. Yeah, for sure. Because what goes through people's head, like there are certain things that I've considered that I'm like, well, I do need some extra flow. I mean, Paul knew how to groom her. He knew exactly Mm -hmm. what he needed to say. So she flies to L.A. Playboy takes some test photos and they send her home telling her, we'll let you know what we think. Is this meanwhile where they're also searching for others because they're doing this nationwide search? Yeah, it's a it's a okay. huge search. Well, Dorothy was a favorite right from the start. She landed in the top 16 contenders for the 25th anniversary Playmate. Wow. So she goes back to L.A. She's modeling for Playboy. And there were appearances and things the girls had to do as part of the deal during this contest. Mm-hmm. And it was said that the title for Anniversary Playmate really came down to Dorothy and one other woman, Candy Loving, who was in her senior year of college at the time. Candy Loving, that is quite the name. It is. I would see that plastered on Playboy, you know? Ultimately, it was Dorothy's shyness that kept her from winning. She wasn't quite ready to be front and center, and the title went to Candy. Okay, so the, it, it did go to her. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Playboy loved Dorothy and continued to work with her. Heff's dream was for his girls to become big celebrities and successful actors. And he thought Dorothy could be the major breakout star. Was that more for him where it's like, if well, they yeah. become these breakout, obviously, then I'm going to get more. Yeah. Oh, it was all for him. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the Playboy organization monitored her diet and exercise, trimmed and bleached her hair, helped her with her acne because, again, she was a teen and had acne. Yeah. 
Playboy also shortened her last name because it felt Hog Stratton was a bit cumbersome to say, so she became Dorothy Stratton. And it sounds like a lot of things that they're doing, mm-hmm. but actually, like, they didn't do as much to her as most of the other girls. They That was very minimal, honestly, compared to what they would do with wow. some girls. That's sad, because then I think of other things that they've probably done. Oh, I don't want to think about other things. No. Dorothy also began taking acting classes. Her beauty and talent could not be ignored. Paul, of course, immediately took credit Mm, for her, mm -hmm, acting mm -hmm. as her manager. You know, this is giving me a Simon vibe. You know, I thought the same thing. Simon Monjack. Yes. Yes. I thought like icky stomach feels. Go listen to our Brittany Murphy episodes. Oh, please do. It is so good. So... Anytime Dorothy needed to be at the Playboy Mansion, Paul was right there with her trying to schmooze Hefner and also flirting with the other playmates. Of course. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to. Paul. Could... He's a pimp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Paul could often be found in the infamous grotto making out with girls that weren't Dorothy. It wasn't long before Dorothy was named the August Playmate of the Month in 1979. She was notified well before August, obviously, because there are photo shoots and things mm-hmm. that take place. So when she got the news, Paul was like, hey, congratulations. Uh, we should get married. What? Yeah. Does she even have like a liking for him? Besides, Well, like- I mean, they're dating, you know, but Dorothy wasn't so sure about it. No one liked Paul, except for her, it seems. Well, and himself. Oh, yeah. Paul loved Paul. <laughs> People always looked at the couple like, why is she with him? Mm -hmm. It didn't make sense. Kind of like Simon and Brittany. Exactly. Yeah, I thought about that a lot. The other playmates that she was friends with told her he gave them a bad feeling. Hef thought Paul was this sick, sleazy guy with, quote, pimp-like qualities. Because I don't know if he actually knew Paul's background. Pause for facial reaction. I'm doing it. You can't see it, but I'm letting you know that my facial reaction is kind of like open mouth. Like if Hugh Hefner's thinking you're sleazy. Literally, that is the sentence I wrote. I wrote PSA. If Hugh Hefner (laughs) thinks you are a sick, sleazy pimp, you have a problem, sir. You are filth and disgust. Everyone tried to warn Dorothy about Paul. They didn't like him. They didn't want her with him. But Paul is in her other ear telling her he's the reason she's getting all these opportunities and that they have a lifetime bargain, quote unquote, (laughs) claiming any money she makes is his money, too. Well, now that's hysterical because if he wants to marry her, it shouldn't be like, oh, we have this bargain together. The only reason he wanted to marry her was for her money. And keep in mind. Paul is the only person from the one place she knew, Vancouver. Mm, that's yeah. Everything was new to her. Parties, cocktails, plane rides, cameras. She had never experienced any of that before. So she clung to Paul for security. Mm-hmm. If she did a photo shoot, she was calling him every break that she got to tell him how it was going. So when he started pressuring her to marry him, she kind of felt backed into a corner. Right, right. Dorothy confided in Marilyn Grabowski, who was the photo editor for Playboy. She was like, he wants to mar- he wants me to marry him. I'm not sure I want to, but I feel like I have to. What do I do? 
Marilyn, who also got a bad vibe from Paul, because everyone got a bad vibe from Paul, <laughs> even Hugh Hefner, said, live with him, but do not marry him. Why Why do you think that she advised to, to live with him? Just I think to, to be like, you know, live with him. See if you actually are compatible. Okay. See if Got you it. want a life with him. Yeah. I see. Kind of like a, a stepping stone. Don't just like jump in and get married. Everyone assumed that eventually the, ra- the relationship would fizzle out. So Dorothy and Paul got an apartment together. Now that she was going to be permanently residing in the U.S., Hugh Hefner secured her a work permit and gave her a job as a bunny at the Century City Playboy Club. However, because she was underage, she couldn't actually serve oh, alcohol. So she was what was known as a door bunny and would greet the guests as they came in. Wait, would they wear a bunny outfit? Oh, yeah. Full on okay. bunny outfit. Okay. I the, got the visual now. Playboy then introduced her to agent David Wilder and she began booking small roles in TV and film. And she was actually pretty good. She took acting classes to get better, and people started seeing her as the next Marilyn Monroe. Oh, wow. And there are a lot of similarities when you think about it, just from their backgrounds and kind of how their career got started. Meanwhile, Paul is right there ramping up the pressure on her to marry him because he could see her career was taking off and he wanted to solidify that, yep, lucrative income from Mm -hmm. someone that wasn't himself. And despite everyone telling her not to do it, she felt like she had to marry Paul. She saw the good in him, and she said, He cares for me so much. He's always there when I need him. I can't ever imagine myself being with any other man but Paul. I have a quick question that you don't Mm -hmm. have to answer right now in case it's going to come up later. But is Paul still alive? No. Interesting. Because I feel like maybe Simon was like, maybe there was some kind of reincarnation there or something. Because <laughs> I'm just getting these vibes. I cannot stop them. Yeah, like, I thought about the simon oh Brittany gosh. dynamic a lot. So on June 1st, 1979, when she was just 19 years old That's and he was 27, me. the two eloped Jeez. and married secretly in Vegas. She didn't even tell her mother she was wow. marrying him. Because I think she knew her mother would not say no. Yeah, absolutely not. So when they got back to L.A. and Dorothy told everyone she'd married Paul, as you can imagine, people were in disbelief. Mm -hmm. And Playboy didn't want it getting out that their playmate of the month was a married woman, and especially to Paul. Mm -hmm. So when Dorothy had to go on a promotional tour, they forbid Paul from going with her. Good. It was probably like the best thing that they ever did. He was starting to feel really left out. Poor Paul. Oh, I'm so sorry not. Yeah, he didn't really have much going on for himself. I will say he did, however, play a part in the creation of Chippendales, as in the male dancer review. I almost had to ask. I was thinking, you know, I was thinking of um, the little chipmunks. Chipmunks. (laughs) This is a different thing. Some credit him with actually coming up with the idea. Others credit Steve Banerjee. Honestly, I think Dorothy played a huge role in it. If you watch Welcome to Chippendales, which is on Hulu right now, the first episode shows Paul, Dorothy, and Steve discussing the idea. Oh, interesting. And it's Dorothy who really champions it and is like, guess what? Women get horny too. It's not just men. And she also came up with the idea of having the guys wear the bow ties and collars because that's what the bunnies would wear. 
Right. I always think of Bridget Jones with the bunnies. Oh, yeah. I honestly don't think Chippendales would have ever existed without, without Dorothy her. Stratton. Mm-hmm. So Paul was a partner in Chippendales for a brief time. So but- there is association, just a quick question, um, between what did Playboy put on the Chippendales? Because I didn't, I figured it was separate. I didn't realize there was it this was much separate. It was separate, but Dorothy uh, was able to get Hef on board. And so okay. I don't know how much. Kind of like, maybe, yeah, maybe there was like some financial backing or something. Mm, don't think so. Oh, okay. So, I mean, based on what happens with Chippendales, no, think so. Um, so Paul was a partner in Chippendales for a while, but eventually was pushed out because he's Paul. <laughs> he was just like pawling all over the place. Ooh, I like that's the verb now. <laughs> he's just pawling it up everywhere. As Dorothy started getting more opportunities, modeling gigs, acting jobs, it was becoming more clear to her that Paul was just a hanger-on. He did not have a lot going for him. He was unemployed, their rent was going up, and they needed to find a new place to live. They had a friend, a doctor named Stephen Kushner, who was a regular at the Playboy Club, and the three of them decided to get a place together. It was a two-story Spanish-style stucco house, located at 10881 West Clarkson Road in Rancho Park, Los Angeles. People do live there if you decide to go by the house, which I know a lot of people do because they want pictures. Don't bother people. Just be cool out there, Misfits. Yeah. Do do good and don't let leave people alone. Let them live. Lives. I did that with the Goonies house, and I will tell you I was very respectful. Good, as one should be. Mm-hmm. Upstairs was the living room and a bedroom, which Stephen claimed, and downstairs in the basement towards the back of the house was a second bedroom, which Paul and Dorothy moved into. Paul and Dorothy often had the house to themselves because Stephen was usually at his girlfriend's house. Dorothy never lived at the Playboy Mansion, but she did go there frequently to work and attend the parties. Do you have access to that if if you're part of that world? I mean, can you just go when you want? What was it called? Like the neighbors of the Playboy? girl the girls next door next door next door girls next door door. oh yeah not neighbors whatever (laughs) the neighbors next door (laughs) the neighboring bunnies yeah um yeah as a playmate like you're that's your playground it's your playground okay it's like your little disneyland or whatever and it's also like you kind of are not kind of obligated, but expected, I think, to oh, be there. to show just up. Okay. You go there show for face. work events. Exactly. Okay. You okay. go to their network. I, it's a whole thing. Gotcha. And we're going to do a whole episode on Playboy um, and maybe even a couple separate episodes because there's, there's a lot there. But anyway, Friday nights at the mansion were the party nights. People clamored to get an invitation to these. They played host to lots of celebrities, including Johnny Carson, Robin Williams, John Ritter, Peter Bogdanovich. And it was at the mansion that Peter first met Dorothy. They first met in October of 1978, but it would be a year before their second meeting. In the fall of 79, Playboy was looking to attract a wider audience, namely that of primetime TV viewers. Hef just thought, you know what? (laughs) Who do we need to get on board? 7 p.m. Primetime family members looking to watch their shows. I, I don't know. Okay. So Hef throws a party and shoots it as a television special, which aired on ABC the Friday after Thanksgiving. TGIF. It was called Playboy's Roller Disco and Pajama Party. You can find it online. It's really something. 
It's hosted by Richard Dawson, who was the host of Family Feud at the time. He came up in our Bob Crane episode. I was going to say, that's a Bob Crane reference right there. And basically features a lot of bikini-clad women roller skating. And roller skates. Lots of roller skating. So much roller skating. That's family-friendly, I guess. Very, very strange. Like, the fact that that ABC, I don't even know. I don't even know. In the special, I'm just thinking of like TGIF lineup and like Steve Urkel and well, this is pre TGIF. I know, I know, so it was, I know, it was pre. But I'm just thinking of all those shows like Mr. Belvedere and Full House and Growing Pains and all of that, and just the ten of us, all those shows. And I'm and thinking of like this coming. To- yes. <laughs> yes, so bizarre. Uh, but in this special, Dorothy is heavily featured, and Peter Bogdanovich was also in attendance. At the time, Peter was one of the hottest directors in town. He had already directed Paper Moon, which won Tatum O'Neill an Oscar, Mm -hmm. and he'd been nominated for Best Director for The Last Picture Show. He was also very good friends with Hugh Hefner. Hugh took notice of Dorothy's appeal. She was definitely a standout, and once that special aired, so did her episodes she shot of Fantasy Island, which was a huge show at the time, and Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, which was another TV series. Dorothy's career was suddenly full speed ahead. That's when Hef gave her the news that he was crowning her the 1980 Playmate of the Year. Ah. This was huge. It came with about a 200,000 it came with about $200,000 worth of prizes which today would equate to almost three quarters of a million dollars. Oh. These prizes included a $25,000 check, a $65,000 Russian sable fur coat, a $26,000 Jaguar, lingerie, a brass bed, and a handmade brass bathtub worth $13,000. That is the oddest prices right showcase i have ever heard of right but, but well done okay lot, brass bed and lot of brass a <laughs> lot of brass going on coat and now i have a question um how what's her family up to at this time like her mom and like you know she's making some money and so i just i'm curious is there any kind of i think her family was proud of her i think okay. you know because she's starting to make some success starting to make a name for Mm -hmm. herself her sister was very proud of her there are clips online Mm. of her sister like of louise when she's like 10 hanging out with dorothy and i think they're on the playboy grounds okay Uh, i'm not positive about that but like they it seemed that they were supportive um and also i just have to say i found a picture of that bathtub and i'm gonna post it because it needs to be seen you know me in a tub sometimes you just gotta take to the tub that's right Before 1979 ended, Dorothy began shooting the photos for her Playmate of the Year issue, and by January, she was being approached by agents, managers, photographers, acting coaches, and it was in January at one of the Playboy Mansion's parties that Peter Bogdanovich spoke with her agent, David Wilder, and said he wanted her for a movie he was getting ready to direct called They All Laughed, which he had also co-written. Okay. The film is very much about Peter, and John Ritter plays a character that Peter said is basically a younger version of himself. Alongside Ritter, who was at the height of Three's Company fame at this point, the film also starred Ben Gazzara and, oh, I don't know if you've heard of her, Audrey Hepburn. 
Oh, wow. Not too shabby for a girl who hasn't even turned 20 yet and has only been in L.A. for about a year and a half. And was found at the Dairy Queen. At the Dairy Queen. Dorothy read for the part three or four times before Peter cast her, but ultimately he decided she was perfect. It was originally supposed to be a small part, I think I think of a secretary, but as Peter got to know her, he began writing a larger role for her, and she eventually became the love interest of John Ritter's character. Ah. As Dorothy's star is on the rise, her husband Paul is becoming more jealous and more of a hanger-on. Mm-hmm. Wait, question. Does he, like, try to get in her mom's pants at all, or, like, is there any kind of weird mom... Paul relationship, you know, just no just going backwards on that episode of. Simon oh, I was of the. I was like, no, where did that? I'm come channeling from? it so much that I was like, wait a minute, I need to know. No, there was nothing between Paul and Nellie. Okay, okay. Oh, Nellie, that's right. Yeah. So Paul tried to get Dorothy to sell her prizes from being Playmate of the Year in order to buy a house. Of course, he does. He kept telling her it would be a great investment. So he starts taking her around town to look at different homes, but she always found something wrong with each house. Deep down, she just didn't want another commitment with him. She was finally getting fed up with him, and she began to pull away. When he insisted on coming with her to New York in March to start filming They All Laughed, she said no, that the set was closed to outsiders and he shouldn't come. So Dorothy heads off to New York without Paul and began working with Peter. She was so excited to be working on the film. She took it very seriously. She showed up on time every day. She was friendly with everyone, but still kept to herself. On her breaks, she would go and sit somewhere off to the side and read. And the crew knew very little about her. But there was one person who was beginning to know a great deal about her, and that was Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, feeling something happening. Mm, Something is definitely happening. He and Dorothy began quietly seeing each other outside of work. The more Peter got to know Dorothy, the further he fell for her. And the feeling was mutual. However, being that she was married, Dorothy wouldn't go further than to kiss Peter. As the two grew closer, she secretly moved into his suite at the Plaza Hotel. Peter wrote her scenes based on his time with her. So there is a scene in the movie where John Ritter asks her to marry him. And she says, okay, I will, as soon as I divorce my husband. That's directly from a conversation Peter and Dorothy have. Oh, this is getting good and juicy. Meanwhile, Paul would be calling her from L.A. When he was able to get a hold of her, she was very distant. She would say she was too tired to talk or... He would tell her he loved her and she wouldn't say it back. She was pulling away. Definitely. In April, she had to fly back to L.A. for some appearances, including the Playmate of the Year luncheon and as a guest on the Johnny Carson show. There's footage from the luncheon. Paul's in attendance. And you can see in her body language that she wants nothing to do with him. To do with him. Mm -hmm. I could understand why. Yeah. She then had to do a promo tour in Canada and went without him. And he called her up in a rage because she had told him she just wanted some space. She was like, you've got to give me some freedom. When someone says, give me some space, you should give them some space. It doesn't mean call them and harass them and scream over and over again. Right, right. Finally, though, she agrees to meet up with him in Vancouver while she's on this tour. And he checked them both into the same hotel. 
They got into a huge argument there, and she later told a friend that she had offered to leave L.A. and move back to Canada with him to try and work things out. What? But of course, that's not what he wanted. He didn't want to go back to Vancouver. He wanted stardom. I was going to say, if, if she went back to Canada and Vancouver, it's going to be like uh, Beaver What's What is the... Beaver? Not Beaver Cleaver. You know what I mean? Sorry. Oh, like the, I, um, like leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. Home life, like home life. Yes, yes, yes. And so he wants all the fame and fortune, and yeah. she's her. He, she is his provider for that. Exactly. He's not going to get it on his own. I mean, he, he he can pimp, but clearly not that well. Well, he given that up. Remember, because women were stealing from him. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. I mean, she's offering to work on the relationship to leave it all behind. And so that just tells you like what his motives truly were because Mm -hmm. he was like, nah, I don't want that. So she's fed up. She cuts her trip short and returns to New York to continue filming. Paul is pissed. A few weeks later, Dorothy sent him a letter stating that their relationship was over, that they were separated both physically and financially, and she closed out their joint bank accounts. As filming neared an end, Peter and Dorothy began to feel a little more comfortable taking their relationship public. They still kept a very low profile, Mm -hmm. but they would show up to set holding hands. It didn't cause a lot of gossip because they did not make a spectacle out of it. Paul is losing it because he knew he was losing her. Mm -hmm. She was his income. Income. And he had no, he had no actual proof that she was having an affair, but he started to suspect He knew he needed to find another way to make some money. So he cleaned up his act and enrolled himself in medical school. What? No, I'm kidding. He picked up another young girl. This time at an auto show. (laughs) Your face. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah, no, he he didn't do jack shit. He just found another young girl. Good. You got me. (laughs) Good. Uh, so this time he sees a 17 year old named Patty oh, Lorman. Yeah. He had a thing for the teenagers. I would have rather him go to medical school. And I don't know if I would want him treating me for anything. I wouldn't, but, but now he's got a 17 year old. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and it was at an auto show, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he begins grooming her. He tried to make her into another Dorothy and even had her move into the home he'd once shared with Dorothy. With Dorothy? He also pitched her to Playboy, but Playboy wanted nothing to do with Paul. He was getting desperate. When filming for They All Laughed wrapped in mid-July, Paul hired a private investigator to follow Dorothy to try to get proof that she was having an affair with Peter. He felt that if he could get proof of the affair, he could sue for breach of management contract. Basically, it came down to money. Paul found out that Dorothy and Peter had gone to London for a little vacation once production wrapped. Playboy's A Midsummer Night's Dream Party was coming up on August 1st, and Paul had a feeling that Dorothy would be there with Peter. So he called the mansion trying to get an invitation, but was turned down. Hef made it clear Paul was no longer allowed at the mansion unless he came with Dorothy. And Hef knew Dorothy would never bring him because he knew how much his good friend Peter loved her and she had fallen in love with him. So this was really Hef's way of getting Paul out of the picture. Smart, but yeah. Dorothy didn't even attend that party. Once she (laughs) and Peter arrived back in L.A., she rented an apartment in Beverly Hills. But she didn't move in there. Instead, she moved into Peter Bogdanovich's Bel Air home. 
Peter's assistant moved into her Beverly Hills apartment. So Dorothy then flies to Texas in early August for some promos. She was really coming into her own. And with her success came more confidence. She'd been approached to play Marilyn Monroe in a made-for-TV movie, but had to turn it down because it conflicted with her They All Laughed schedule. She was a candidate to star in Charlie's Angels, but her agent thought she could do better. And she was being considered for the film The Last Desperado. So offers are are pouring in now. Mm -hmm. Although she was really happy with her success and with Peter, she felt a pang of guilt over Paul because she knew he needed help financially. And she's a good person. Exactly. Yeah. So she called him while she was in Texas and agreed to meet with him on Friday, August 8th for lunch. The meeting did not go well. They ended up back at the apartment that Paul now shared with Patty and couldn't seem to come to any agreement regarding their relationship, their finances, nothing. This is when Dorothy told Paul that she had fallen in love with Peter and that she would like the two of them to reach a financial settlement. She grabbed a few clothes from her closet and told him he could give the rest to Patty, and she left. Wowza. Somehow, Peter found out that Paul had hired a private detective to to follow Dorothy, and he told her, he was like, babe, this asshole is keeping tabs on your every move. But it didn't seem to bother her. She assured him Paul would never hurt her. They were in the middle of reaching a financial Mm -hmm. settlement. All was good. Nevertheless, Peter told her he didn't want her seeing Paul again, and Hugh Hefner felt the same way. That Sunday, two days after Dorothy had told Paul she was in love with Peter, Paul hosted a barbecue at his house, and one of the people he invited was the private detective, Mark Goldstein. Oh, interesting. Okay. So at this barbecue, Paul pulls Mark aside and just casually says, um, hey, could you buy me a machine gun? What? Mark is like, why the fuck do you need a machine gun? And Paul says, for home protection. That seems awfully drastic. Yeah, it's a leap. Mark (laughs) managed to talk Paul out of that idea. He was like, dude, you need to simmer. But later that day, Paul starts looking through the classifieds and finds an ad. A machine gun. He finds an ad for a 12-gauge Mossberg pump shotgun. Okay. He calls the number listed and arranges to meet the owner the following day. Are shotguns the long? Yeah. The long? Okay. Mm -hmm. Dorothy had agreed to call Paul that Sunday to discuss their financial settlement, but she didn't call him until Monday, and that pissed him off. They agreed to meet face-to-face the following Thursday, August 14th at 11.30 a.m. On Monday the 11th, he drives to meet the gun owner, the gun owner, but Paul, the idiot, gets lost in the dark. So the owner was like, for fuck's sake, all right, I'll come meet you. So he meets Paul at a construction site and sold him the gun. And then Paul's like, oh, thanks. Could you maybe show me how to use it too? And the guy did. That Wednesday, Paul was in a great mood. He told Patty that Dorothy would be coming over the next day to look at a house with him that he thought would be a good investment for her, which was a lie. Patty was like, oh, okay, y'all must be on good terms. That night, Wednesday night, he stopped by his friend's by his friend Bill's photography studio. Bill had taken some promotional shots of Patty that Paul wanted to look at. And again, Paul seemed in a great mood. He casually mentions to Bill that he'd recently bought a gun for protection. 
Bill didn't think much about that at the time. But Paul brought up some other things that Bill thought seemed a little odd, like when Paul randomly mentioned Claudia Jennings. She was a playmate that died in a car accident 10 years prior. And Paul said, yeah, you know, some playmates get killed. It causes a lot of chaos. Uh, Bill thought, huh, that's weird. The next morning, Paul's roommate Patty left to give him and Dorothy some privacy. And Stephen, their other roommate, was at work. Dorothy left to meet Paul without telling Peter because she knew he didn't want her seeing him. She arrived Roughly half an hour to an hour late, different reports list different times. Mark Goldstein, that PI, had followed her, of course, and said it was 1230 when she walked into the home. Not long after, Mark called Paul to see how things were going with Dorothy, and Paul said things were fine. Hmm. But things were definitely not fine. Mark continued to call Paul throughout the afternoon, but Paul wasn't answering his phone. Around 5 p.m., Patty returned home with another one of Paul's girlfriends, quote unquote, and they noticed Dorothy's car parked outside, but the basement bedroom door was closed. So they assumed the two just wanted privacy Mm -hmm. and they left to go skating. Skating was apparently a big thing back then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. While they were gone, Stephen returned home and also noticed the bedroom door closed and he could hear Paul's phone ringing, but no one answering it. This was likely Mark calling. Patty and her friend returned home around 7 p.m. and the bedroom door was still still closed. closed. Hmm. The phone continued to ring, unanswered, throughout the night. And just outside of Paul's bedroom, which was located at the back of the house, was the backyard, where Stephen's German shepherd was kept. The dog had been pacing and whining all evening. Just like sensing something? Something. Just before midnight, Mark called Patty and asked her to knock on Paul's door. But she was like, "Mm, no thanks, I don't want to do that. So Mark asked to talk to Stephen, and Stephen was like, okay, I'll go. Stephen said as he walked down the stairs, he had an overall sense of dread. He knew something was wrong. He knocked on the door, but there was no response, so he pushed it open. This is about to get very gruesome and graphic just want to warn you once dorothy had gone inside the house she either willingly followed paul into the basement to their old bedroom or what i think is the likelier scenario is that he forced her downstairs Mm -hmm. because her purse was found upstairs lying in the middle of the living room floor like she dropped it Mm mm-hmm Inside her purse was a handwritten note from Paul talking about his financial problems, how he didn't have a green card, how he depended on Dorothy for support. And she also had $1,100 in cash, which it's believed she intended to give this to Paul to help Mm -hmm. him out. Once downstairs in the bedroom, Paul proceeded to violently beat and rape Dorothy. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of sexual assault involved in this, so you might want to skip ahead if you don't want to hear that. It was clear she had also been sodomized, but it couldn't be determined whether this occurred before or after death. Although bloody handprints on her buttocks and left leg would indicate the sodomy occurred after, after, though it could have also occurred before. Dorothy was found completely nude, 
slumped across the bottom of the bed. Her knees were on the floor and her right shoulder drooped down. This was not the position she died in. It was clear she had been moved after death. Near her head was a bondage rack Paul had made himself, which was set for rear entry intercourse. Loops of tape, both used and unused, were lying around the room. She had been shot just above her left eye with the shotgun, leaving her face completely obliterated. Uh. She was also missing her left index finger. It's presumed she was holding her hand up in defense when the gun went off. Okay. This was like an- kind of over her face, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. This was an absolutely gruesome scene. There was blood, tissue, and brain matter all over the walls, the curtains, the ceiling, and the TV. And this is how Stephen walked in. I mean, he pushed open the door and saw this. This is what he saw. Where's Paul? I'm getting there. Okay. There were also black ants crawling all over her body, which was in full rigor. Paul's body was found face down, lying parallel to the foot of the bed. He was also nude. He had shot himself in the face, and the shell went upward through his brain. The front half of his face was gone. The impact had driven his body forward over the gun. His right hand was in a clutched position, holding strands of Dorothy's hair that he had clearly ripped out of her head. Wow. But it's unclear if that occurred before or after she died. It could have been during a struggle. We don't know. Initially, officers couldn't determine if Paul was the one that pulled the trigger because there was so much blood and tissue on his hands. (sighs) Paul's body was also crawling with small black ants. What? Where are these? Well, remember, there are bedrooms in the the basement. basement. That's Mm -hmm. right. It was determined that both Dorothy and Paul had been dead for at least eight hours. Well, at least eight. And that Dorothy had been killed likely within her first hour of being in the house. Paul, however, did not immediately kill himself right after killing Dorothy. He was in that room with her for an hour after she had died. And based on the bloody handprints left on her body was likely spending that time violating her corpse. Uh, uh, Dorothy Stratton died on August 14th, 1980, exactly two years from her first meeting with Playboy. She uh, was just 20 years old. The ME that examined both Dorothy and Paul was none other than Dr. Thomas Noguchi, which if you've listened to our Marilyn Monroe episodes, you know he was the same ME that examined her. Dorothy is also buried in the same cemetery as Marilyn. Oh. Not to keep comparing the women, there's only one Marilyn Monroe and there's only right. one Dorothy Stratton, but it is interesting to point out some parallels. The PI, Mark Goldstein, called the Playboy Mansion to inform Hef of Dorothy's death. Dorothy's death. So Hef calls his friend Peter and was like, Peter, I'm so sorry, man. He didn't and, know. And Peter was like, for what? Oh, shit. He hadn't heard yet. So Hef broke the news to him. And upon hearing it, Peter immediately collapsed and was inconsolable and had to be sedated. He later released a statement. I'm going to read part of it. He says, 
Dorothy Stratton was as gifted and intelligent an actress as she was beautiful, and she was very beautiful indeed, in every way imaginable, most particularly in her heart. Mm. She and I fell in love during our picture and had planned to be married as soon as her divorce was final. Dorothy looked at the world with love and believed that all people were good down deep. She was mistaken, but it is among the most generous and noble errors we can make. After Dorothy's death, Peter continued to support her family, both emotionally and financially. He said, if I had married Dorothy, this would be my family, so they're not going to stop being my family Mm -hmm. just because she's dead. Which all sounds sweet and lovely, if it weren't for the fact that just eight years later, 49-year-old Peter married Dorothy's 20-year-old sister, Louise. Can you say that again? Mm Mm-hmm. 49-year-old Peter married Dorothy's 20-year-old sister, Louise, eight years after Dorothy's death. So the one she was close to that was eight years younger than her. Mm -hmm. That's odd. I think they clung to each other after Dorothy died. I I mean, it was weird. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. We got some more more Simon and mom issues. But- there's Maybe a, a lot. Little, yeah. 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 They stayed married for 13 years until she filed for divorce in 2001, but they continued living together until his death. What? What? Yes. Well, how, were, when did he die? Were, he died how last he? year. He died. Whoa. Uh, I think January 6th of 2022. So they weren't married, but they just continued living together. They have children. They did not have children. Uh, they were they, that close that they. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be some kind of like they just like a trauma bond. Solace. Yeah. Trauma bond. Yeah. It there's a lot to unpack there. I'm not going to go too much into it. Um, Nellie also lived with them. And <laughs> of course she did. And Louise and Peter remained business partners. There's a lot going on. Okay. There. Uh, the movie They All Laughed was a flop because the studio didn't want to market it after Dorothy's mm-hmm. death. They felt people wouldn't want to go see a movie knowing one of its stars had just been brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. So Peter bought the rights to the film himself and tried to distribute it on his own, which was unsuccessful and nearly broke him financially and professionally. Yeah. He probably loved her so much. that it's just something he wanted to do. He wanted would- to do. He wanted it to be seen. He was trying to get it out in more theaters and it just didn't work. And for, but the, for the rest of his life, he said that was his favorite film of his. Oh, can you see that? Do, do you know? Is it around? They all movie? laughed. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it's Audrey Hepburn, John Ritter. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, a legit film. You can see it. In 1981, there was a movie about Dorothy titled Death of a Centerfold, starring Jamie Lee Curtis as Dorothy, but it was largely panned as being exploitative. It was too soon after her death. A lot of liberties were taken. Then in 1983, another movie was made called Star 80, directed by Bob Fosse, with Mariel Hemingway as Dorothy. Interesting fact. Mariel Hemingway is the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, who wrote A Farewell to Arms. Peter Bogdanovich used a passage from A Farewell to Arms on Dorothy's tombstone. Oh. The passage reads, If people bring so much courage to this world, the world has to kill them to break them. So of course it kills them. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure that it will kill you too but there will be no special hurry. 
And it's signed, we love you, DR, for Dorothy Ruth, because he used to call her DR. Peter wasn't happy with either of those two films because he felt they didn't capture who Dorothy really was. So in 1984, he released a book titled The Killing of the Unicorn. And in it, he discusses his relationship with Dorothy. He shares some of the poems she wrote. And he also lays some blame on his friend, Hugh Hefner and Playboy, stating it was the Playboy culture that forced Dorothy to marry Paul Mm -hmm. so she'd be protected from the men that hung around Playboy. His claim might have had a little more impact had he not been one of the men that hung around Playboy. He also accused Hef of raping Dorothy, claiming that Dorothy had told him that had happened. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I think Peter was going through some stuff Mm -hmm. and was Mm -hmm. looking to point the finger at someone because the person who was actually responsible for Dorothy's murder was dead. Hef vehemently denied the claims, and other playmates said they knew nothing of any physical relationship between Dorothy and Hef. They said Dorothy never stayed at the mansion. She only went there to work. Hef said Dorothy saw him as a, fa- uh, as a father figure that she would go to for advice. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know that he raped her. But the accusations took a toll on Hef, and he had a stroke shortly after the book's release. Oh. He retaliated by claiming that Peter had begun an inappropriate relationship with Louise when she was a teenager and had paid for Louise to have plastic surgery to look more like Dorothy. There might actually be some truth to that. Not so sure, but I've seen in a few reports that he did pay for plastic surgery, so I don't know. Basically, it's two old white dudes having a dick contest, and Dorothy deserves far better than that. People that encountered Dorothy all said the same thing, that she was just the sweetest girl. A former playmate, Luann Fernald, said Dorothy was the most straight-laced playmate there was. She always kept it professional at the mansion and was treated with a lot of respect. Another playmate, Heidi Sorensen, said Dorothy was a pure spirit in every sense. She was very down-to-earth, never got jealous if other girls got opportunities over her, and was just very innocent. Some fun facts about Dorothy. She loved poetry. Obviously, we talked about that. Mm -hmm. She loved animals, particularly horses. She had a pet rat named Baby. Baby? That would sit perched on her shoulder as she walked around the house. She loved lasagna and steak. Mork and Mindy and All in the Family were two of her favorite TV shows. Two of her favorite movies were One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and A Star is Born. Favorite books included Lord of the Flies and Valley of the Dolls. She hated oysters, and she had a secret dream of one day flying to the moon. In the last interview she gave shortly before her death, she spoke with journalist George Haddad Garcia. I found this on DorothyStratton.com. It doesn't look like that site has been updated in a while, but there are some really interesting things on there. It's where I found the letters she wrote to her boss when she had to miss work to go to L.A. And there are a lot of pictures, too, and segments of her appointment book. So you should check that out. I'll link it. In this interview, the last thing she says is, you've got to do the best you can do for yourself and others. There's enough rotten stuff in the world without stressing it. If someone's going to talk about me, I'd want it to be positively. The way many write, you think only bad things were interesting. If we don't think positive, what's the use? It's a lot more fun, you know? 
She is precious. Yeah. And just beautiful inside and out. Yeah. Another source I used when reading about this case was an article that appeared in the Village Voice. It was written by Teresa Carpenter on November 5th, 1980. She won a Pulitzer Prize for journalism for this article. I'm going to link it. Uh, So you can check that out. And while you're clicking on links over there in the show Mm -hmm. notes, go ahead and click subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And you can follow us on the social meds such as... Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Horrorwood Podcast. Or email us at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're really feeling the love, you can join our Patreon at Horrorwood Podcast. No. No. Uh, Patreon.com. Patreon.com. At at Horrorwood. (laughs) Oh, we really (laughs) much. It's been a while. I'm tired. I actually, when I I said the social meds and then I was like, wait, is this one Horrorwood Pod? I got all mixed up. I couldn't remember. I was like, is that Twitter? Oh, I think. I think I'm taking Twitter down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even mention it anymore. Um, Anyway, back to the Patreon. 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 Patreon.com slash Horrorwood Podcast. podcast. Oh my gosh. And at least I can say it now. It took me, I don't yeah. know, what, you know, many episodes in, to, uh, yeah, started in and July. like a thousand, yeah, I was going to say in a thousand practices. I had to, I had to do the British route for a while. That's getting, <laughs> it's getting better. It is. Um, so that's all I got. That is the tale of Dorothy Stratton. She was gone far too soon. Absolutely. She, and just a precious soul. She oh. had so much ahead of her. Yeah, big potential. I'm excited to see um, the Instagram post of mm-hmm. like what she looked like, and because I don't Gorgeous. think I want to look her up now. I don't. Okay. Think, you know what? I'm not going to. Okay. Um, I'll wait, and I think that will kind of like just tie everything together for me. Okay. Yeah, she was stunned.